Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History of Comics podcast. This time, within the first in a series of uh, biographies on the forgotten uh, black artists at the early uh, Golden Age of comic books, with the first being Adolphus Barrow Grippen or Adolph uh, Leslie Barrow, the invisible black pioneer of comic books. Throughout history, in times of racial oppression, many minorities have to disguise their identities in order to avoid then current prejudice, with comic books being no exception. Another example was Aldolphus Beryl Grippen, born to a mulatto mixed-race family in Charleston, South Carolina. He would later move to New York City, changing his name to Aldolph Leslie Barrow and claiming to be white. As a result, he easily moved about high artistic society, but also inadvertently became the first black artist in comic books, even if he could or would never admit to it. Adolph Leslie the Grippen Barrow Jr. was born Adolphus Barrow Grippen on January 9, 1899 in Charleston, South Carolina, preceded by his sister Helena, the children Adolphus Grippen Sr. and Georgiana Little. Their father, a wheelwright at the H. Stinkin uh, Company of Charleston, died that fall on October 18th from a hemorrhagic uh, typhoid fever, leaving their mother to raise two children on her own. She would take jobs as a seamstress, eventually working for the Louis Cohen uh, Dressmaking Company, and even had to petition the court to take control of her husband's estate. Eventually, the Grippen family moved to 36 Alexander Street, as in 1909 their home was seized due to non-payment of taxes, leading the family to move several times again over the first 10 years of Adolphus' life. It, was dur- it wasn't long before these hardships took its toll on Georgiana, with her children moving in with her aunts Eugenia Grippen Steele and Mary Burrow, their father's sisters. Despite these hardships, Burrow would have finally recall his childhood in Charleston, calling the city safe and enjoying its many events, from the Washington Day Parade to the Mets Band's concerts in the South Battery. However, events would transpire that would not only force Burrow to, from Charleston, but his very identity. When he was 12 years old, Adolph developed typhoid, the same disease that killed his father, and didn't fully recover until several years later. The family doctor advised them to move to a less humid climate, so at 15, Adolph with his, moved with his sister Helena and newly divorced aunt to New York City, which did allow him to fully recover from typhoid when he was 16. During the move, Grippen and his family left their mulatto heritage and claimed to be white. He even changed his name to Adolph Leslie Barrow. For the time, this made sense, as many light-skinned blacks did this to avoid racism while getting better social and job opportunities. On January of 1916, Barrow graduated from public school 44 in Bedford Stuyvesant's section of Brooklyn, New York. He later went to the DeWitt Clinton High School that September, the, then the largest modern high school at the time, which once held the record for most students in attendance, many of whom would also be future comic book greats such as Will Eisner and Bill Finger. At DeWitt, Barrow was an exceptional student, serving as editor-in-chief of the school paper and director of the Dramatics Club. On September 2nd of 1918, Barrow registered for the draft at the age of 19, but was never conscripted, though his draft card describes him as 5'5", slender at 130 pounds, with dark hair and gray eyes. On June of 1919, Adolphus Barrow graduated from DeWitt and was awarded the St. Gaudens Art Medal, named after Augustus St. Gaudens, one of America's great sculptors. Thanks to his excellent school record, he was accepted to Yale University. Before he went to college, Barrow worked at the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Company as a staff artist. 
In September of 1919, Barrow left New York City for New Haven, Connecticut to attend Yale, where he majored in fine arts and Elizabethan English, while also joining the fencing team and the Cosmopolitan Club, where he established connections that would help him later in his career. In addition, Barrow worked part-time at a local drugstore making posters and advertisements before finding a better-paying job at the Hopkins Advertising Agency, where he served as art director during the summers. After completing his freshman year at Yale in July of 1920, Barrow began his literary career when he wrote Hunch for the pulp magazine Breezy Stories, Volume 11, Number 4, which was published in February of 1921. His next sale would come after leaving college when Barrow wrote on The Trail of Dope for Mystery Magazine, Volume 7, Number 163, on September of 1924. That same year, Barrow showed his more serious side when International Studio, a fine art magazine, published his essay, The Art of the Mayas, which was a subject he developed an interest in in back in Yale. Barrow would continue at Yale for three more years, but after the summer of 1922, he returned to New York City to seek out his fortune. In 1925, Barrow opened the Leslie Barrow Studio at 244 Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, using his name Aldolf Leslie the Grippen Barrow. At Yale, he was known simply as Leslie. He soon got a partner in Lippert, changing the name of the studio to Barrow Lippert uh, Company, with the intention of doing advertising. While also painting portraits for celebrities like the baritone singer William Ryder and Siegfried girl Marlon Miller. Meanwhile, his personal art career began to grow as Barrow's illustrations were appearing in Collier's and Liberty Magazine, while he was still selling the occasional stories to pulps like Snappy Stories, one of the infamous girly pulps that used covers of William and suggest- women in suggestive poses, while the interior art would feature full-on nudes. By the late 1990s, Barrow was considered something of a celebrity at a time when illustrators and cartoonists were treated as such, with his name frequenting the gossip columns, usually for attending a friend's wedding or a tennis match in the Catskills. Barrow was even part of a public feud with the Brooklyn Daily Eagle columnist Rian James, supposedly over the treatment of women models by artists. It was reportedly started from Barrow's published comments that women were created for petting and pettiness, and no man doing creative work should marry unless unless it has an expensive luxury, as these tales of wise being an artist's inspiration were just sentimental garbage. However, Barrow would also attack the belief that female models were preyed upon by artists like himself, stating that they were safer in their studios than most other professions. It is not sure how much of this was true, as Barrow had established a reputation for providing gossips and rumors to papers to keep his name in the public eye. A year earlier, Barrow would even travel the country for a female model, which he chronicled in a syndicated column published in the small town papers nationwide. Of significance, it is unlikely Barrow ever tried to reach out to black female models, as he continued to segregate himself for his own black heritage. While working as an artist, Barrow dabbled in acting, such as performing in The Dancing Mothers in 1925, which was among the many Broadway shows he claimed to have appeared in. In 1930, Barrow was made the art director of the Green Roamers Revel, a private club for actors, and while once again making controversial comments about women, this time stating he preferred chorus girls as models, as not only did they pose better, but they provided great material for his stories. However, his career appeared to have stalled as he had to move back in with his aunts, Eugenia and Marie, as the, with the great profession taking hold, and his illustration jobs were starting to dry up, and he even had to dissolve his most recent uh, professional partnership with uh, Raymond Thayer. One beat field Barrow was able to move into was pulps, where his writing and artistic skills could be put to great use. 
1933, Barrow created Flossie Flip, a comic strip about the misadventures of a saucy chorus girl for Harry Donnefeld, the future founder of DC Comics, Police Gazette, but it would end in November of 1934 where the paper went into receivership. Barrow maintained a professional relationship with Donnefeld, serving as a creative art director in some of his other magazines and pulps, such as Snappy Stories, Pep, and Ginger. Barrow's personal life picked up when he married Vera Marie Zerpopolo, the daughter of Italian immigrants, on June 28th, converting to Catholicism to do so. Married at the Church of St. Mary on West 42nd Street, Barrow would be a member of the Church for Life, along with becoming treasurer of the Catholic Laymen's Association. However, Barrow would dissolve another professional partnership on November 9th, this time with Jobin. Back on the comics fronts, Barrow started Sally the Sleuth for Donald spicy detective stories pulp, an adult-themed comic strip about a female detective who had trouble keeping her clothes on. However, it was his next work that would put Barrow into the comic book history. One of the first comic books ever launched was New Fun from Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, becoming the first under the company that would become DC. In addition, it was the first to present original stories over reprints of comic strips. For his part, Barrow would do the Magic Crystal of History for New Fun number 3 in April of 1935, and as a result, was the first black man to work in a comic book, even if he wouldn't or couldn't admit to it. The story was about two children who find a large grass crystal in a cave that allows them to transport through time. Not long after, Barrow would later do The Enchanted Stone of Time, a color comic strip for the George Matthews Adams Syndicate, which happened to have the exact same plot as The Magic Crystal of History. While short-lived, the strip was reprinted in the comics number 6 through 9 in 1938 from Dale Publications. As for new new fun comics, it would eventually be retitled More Fun Comics, running until 1947, and featured the debuts as classic comic book characters like the Doctor Occult, the Spectre, Doctor Fate, Green Arrow, Aquaman, and Superboy. By this time, Barrow had solidified his relationship to Harry Donenfeld, who would fund his majestic studio in order to have a dedicated staff of artists for his publishing ventures from pulps to comics. Among these were the comic strips for Donenfeld's pulps, such as Six Gun Sandy for thrilling westerns, and Ace Jordan for thrilling adventures. Here, Barrow did Olga Mesmer, the girl with the X-ray eyes, in 1937 for spicy detective stories, debuting a superpowered character a year before Superman appeared in Action Comics number one on June of 1938. It was during this time in the late 1930s that Barrow reconnected with his mother, Georgiana, who had also taken up a new identity in Josephine Barrow, claiming to be from uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, and like her son, now also claiming to be white, according to the 1940 census. Moving to New York City to be with her family, Georgiana would live to October 3rd of 1965, dying at the age of 92 in Brooklyn, New York. Before that, she would see the Barrow family expand as Adolphus and Vera had their first son, Adolphus Leslie de Grippen Barrow III, who was born on March 22nd of 1938, and then two years later, their second son, Theodore Eugene Charles Barrow, was born. In 1939, Aldolf Barrow did Patio Day in Wonder Comics and Wonderland Comics. Barrow would later do Champion Comics with the stories The Champ and Dragon Thief, this time through Worf Publishing Company, which was founded by Worf Carahan, a pulp artist Barrow had once employed at Majestic. Harvey Comics would eventually take over Champion, changing its name to Champ Comics, though Barrow and Majestic continued to provide the art until 1941. In 1940, Barrow also took advantage of his theater background when he taught acting at the Barbizon Modeling and Acting School. In the late 1940s, Barrow also illustrated several children's books, such as The Seven Round the Mountain, A Treasury of Humor for Boys and Girls, and The Treasury of Goodnight Stories. 
Barrow would later edit Private Detective Stories, which featured the return of his Sally the Sleuth comic, which debuted in February of 1949, though a bit tamer this time, i.e. Sally managed to keep her clothes on more. Published by Harry Donenfeld under his new venture, Trojan Magazine, Sally would appear for a year before graduating to color with the reprinting of her story on June of 1949 in Crime Smashers No. 1. Crime Smashers mostly consists of reprints from Donenfeld's pulp magazines using color and t- toning down the art to appeal to new readers. Barrow would edit Crime Smashers, Hollywood Detective, and Crime Mysteries, a companion title, till 1954, but with these series ending, it also marked the end of Majestic Studio and Barrow's comic book career. Barrow would continue to write and edit, this time for Fawcett Publications, with their special interest book division under Whitestone, as of the the company. Here, Barrow oversaw magazines like The Beauty in the Camera, Salon Photography, Bunny Yeager's Nudes, and Glamour in the Camera, which included tasteful nudes, along with also editing medical textbooks for Fawcett in 1962. In addition, Barrow served as editor and occasional writer on the local... New Jersey paper while writing for the Charleston, South Carolina paper News and Courier. It was during this that he claimed to have been born in New Jersey and having only visited Charleston recently despite having actually been born there, a further rejection of his roots. Barrow would even claim to be friends with Senators Strom Thurmond and Congressman Rivers of South Carolina, two noted segregationists, and admiring the Confederate Museum of Charleston, an irony considering once again that Barrow was black. Barrow died on October 23rd of 1885 in New York City at the age of 86, having never revealed his black heritage, which would be discovered years later. In hindsight, it is easy to judge people like Barrow, who claimed to be white to get ahead in life. However, looking at the racial prejudices of America at the time is entirely understandable, as he did what was best for himself and his family. It is always a dark part of any history when people must deny who they are to survive, let alone thrive, and the life of Aldolf Barrow is a lesson against racism and bigotry, besides not being a talented artist who inadvertently made history in comic books. I would like to thank the chief source for this episode, Invisible Men, the trailblazing black artist of comic books by King Quattro, which features a great biography of Adolphus Grippen Barrow and many other early black comic book artists, and will be a source for the many episodes to come. This is a must-read for any comic book fan. Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Now is February 29th, Leap Day, 2024. Uh, first, so, first off, uh, for, time for the favorite comic of the week. Duke, number three, by Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley, which continues the story that finds Duke imprisoned in a pit with his friend Clutch, all while uh, Cobra comes hunting for him, dusting off another classic Cobra villain. Meanwhile, he has to turn to all people to Baroness to help him out. This is just another great read that does a great that weighs in this re, helps revitalizing the GI Joe uh, uh, comic book universe, uh, mixing the characters in new but still very familiar ways. You very much like that this Duke is going through PTSD. He wants everyone to believe that he saw a, he saw he saw a transformer that we know is Starscream. Read the book; it's a, it's a cool way they're integrating the energy on universe in uh, neat ways. 
And it's also cool to see that both Stalker and Rock and Roll, who originally arrested Duke and imprisoned him in the pit, are now calling Colonel Hawk out and like, hey, he shouldn't be here. What's going on here? And you see the light through the, the, the these guys might be realities pretty soon, which is good because uh, things hit the fan real fast. Illustrated brilliantly by Tom Riley's art, which is great, action-packed, and nicely brutal. Yes, it is not a kid's book. It's a, it's the G.I. Joe book that the kids who watched the old cartoon show wish, wish we had we growing up, and it works perfectly. It's, it's, it easily fits up next to Larry Hammond's great run in the classic series in the 1980s, which, by the way, is also going on, but I actually like this a little better right now. Just because, like I said, done like that one, this one incorporates the Transformers and all the other cool stuff that Hasbro is having. And the Energon Universe has been, every book's been killing it, and this is no exception. So, yeah, if you want to get in the Energon Universe, get, pick up Duke number three, great read. And with that, uh, we conclude uh, the uh, uh, archives for the uh, Black History Month. Uh, and in keeping with the archives, I'm trying to, if I'm going to be doing dusting off these old episodes that are no longer available, at least on the my Apple. Um, Subscription. They only they limit to 100 episodes. They might be trying to tell me something. Who knows? Uh, so uh, I'll be next week. Next month will be a uh, Women History Month. So I'll be dusting off some episodes relating to that. Uh, you may have heard, may have not. Uh, give them a good listen again. I listen to them too. And sometimes painful, sometimes not. I am. I've had. I've seen the reviews where I have a pro- I speak too fast. I'm half Australian. I apologize. I am working on it. And uh, but you're welcome to have my money, your money back for in exchange. But I'm going I'll, I'll keep doing it and try to get better because I like doing this. It's, uh, yeah, worst things to do with your time than uh, making a podcast, talking on your love of comic books and then the great history about it. But uh, with that, join me again uh, next month for likely some archives about the uh, women in uh, history, uh, especially with comic books. And until then, go enjoy some good comic book and check out Duke Number Three because that's a great read. <laughs>